0: You tweeted that Tinker Hatfield wants an apology. Did you have to apologize to Tinker Hatfield? The Sockjig Sneaker Podcast. Please send lawyers, guns, and money. Welcome to episode 41 of the Sockjig Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jig. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sockjig, and on Instagram as well. Today, we have a conversation with John Geiger. We covered a lot of topics, some things he's never discussed before. We discussed, of course, the settlement of the lawsuit from Nike. Then we covered some of the history, too, working with Nike almost a decade ago, to misplaced checks in 2015, to the decision to create the GF1. And some of these topics he has covered in interviews in the past before, but really, I want to revisit some of them in this new lens of post lawsuit and settlement. So that's why I wanted to go back and cover some of those. Okay. So that intro was originally recorded on Monday, October 10th. Today is Wednesday, October 12th, and I have a small story to tell. So I basically posted that teaser clip on Monday about John appearing on the show. John had retweeted it and said that it was the most open and honest he's ever been. And I guess Nike saw the tweets, and I assume they were not happy about it at all. So I guess lawyers were involved. You know, what would the world be like if there were no lawyers? John reached out and asked me if I could hold off on publishing this episode. The whole thing was ready to go. I just had to hit the, the button. He asked me to hold off while they figured out what can and can't be discussed. And I said, sure, I'll hold off. You know, I'm not here trying to get sued, nor do I want John to be sued or in breach of anything because of this, because of this show. So I'm here to do the right thing the right way. And John was very apologetic about the whole thing and very kind throughout. And I told him exactly what I just said, you know, and I said, I'm grateful for him wanting to be on the show and wanting to be on this podcast and talking to my listeners. So after some back and forth, we decided to make some edits. You'll hear a swoosh sound wherever something was edited out. There's a couple times where I interject and do a voiceover and explain the next thing that we talked about just so that it still flows. Originally, this episode was about 58 minutes long, so now it'll probably be about 50-51 minutes long. That includes my intro and outro and all that kind of stuff. So, Some of the cut topics that we talked about, I asked about just him tweeting throughout the case, and I asked some questions about discovery and about making of the GF-1. Some of that stuff is still in, some of it John was advised not to answer. And just my personal opinion here, some of the questions that I asked are stuff that he had tweeted, and those tweets are still up, they still exist, so in a way that's a statement in itself. Overall, I still feel like the episode holds up and is worthy of being released. If there were large chunks that had to be removed, I honestly would have just scrapped the whole thing. And John even offered to record again, so he was very gracious about it the whole time. As I said, it was a good conversation, you know, there was no game show bits about flipping or dripping or whatever, so I hope you enjoy. And for any new listeners, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I recommend subscribing to the podcast, checking it out. Most of the podcasts are solo podcasts where I'm just on my own talking about sneaker content, no banter, no bullshit, no talking about my weekend with my celebrity friends. Each topic covered is to the point and on to the next, so... I hope you check it out. Some ones to check out in particular are The Hater's Guide to Sneakers, which was pretty fun to do. The Sneaker Conspiracy Theories one, which is probably my most popular one, where I talked about a whole bunch of conspiracy theories out there. And the same episode where I called Zeta Kicks a Ponzi scheme before it collapsed. And there are multiple ones about Zeta Kicks themselves afterwards. If you listen to those old episodes, you'll see that it's all good takes, and you can ask any listener who's done the same. Okay, it's probably like 99% good take. So my worst take was probably recommending this one group that rhymes with whole hammy. But even that, that was just me trying to help a former friend. So, you know, when some news or some discussion breaks out in sneakers, people will often say there's a Sock Jake Sneaker Podcast episode for it because I've already discussed it or I called it. Sometimes I'm people, sometimes it's actually other people. And the same for Twitter, you know, Twitter is mostly memes and jokes and sometimes quick thoughts, which are expanded on the podcast, but overall, nothing is taken too seriously. You know, once I saw this viral tweet where they were saying people are taking your embarrassing tweets and posting them in group chats and laughing about them. Well, I can confidently say that no tweet of mine would qualify for that. I'm not sure how many people can say that in sneaker Twitter, really. So I stand by my takes. They're good takes. But if anyone is willing to call me cringe, they're usually my haters and I wish them nothing but the worst. So no cringe takes, no embarrassing takes, no selective soapbox, no big timing anyone, no engagement farming. You know, I'm the people's champ for a reason. The mantra is the game is the game. So check it out. Actually, before all that, I am also dropping socks right now. These are the business plan socks that say buy low, sell for more than pay. They are in the colorway paper white. If you're a new listener and wondering, well, that phrase kind of sounds dumb, what's the point? And really, it's just a fun phrase that was said on Twitter when people would ask how to make money in sneakers. But really, it is the only lesson you need for success. So that's why they're called the Business Plan Socks. They're available right now at shop.sockjig.com. The password is discovery. All lowercase, just the one word, discovery. So pause the podcast, go buy. It should be an easy cop. I reserve most of the stock for podcast listeners that have supported me from day one. So they're usually available for a few days after the podcast drops. There might be a little bit more interest in this podcast than previous ones. I'm not sure, so I'm not sure how it should go. But if you're listening to this on the day that they dropped and you like the socks and you want to support me, they should be available right now. Shop.sockjig.com password discovery and a fun fact about these these are only the second time i've ever dropped white socks the first white socks were the very first the game is the game socks that were paired with a double pack with a black sock so i usually do cream so if you have always wanted white socks this is the time to get it so grab them now so thank you now with that out of the way let's get on to the conversation with my celebrity friend <laughs> Okay, my guest today is a sneaker designer, you know, he has gone from working on sneakers like the Zoom Revis 1 and 2 with Nike over a decade ago to creating his own namesake brand and sneakers, which, as we all know, led to a lawsuit from Nike, which has been ultimately settled. Please welcome John Geiger. John, how are you? How how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a
1: good amount of time to think about everything and I'm, I'm moving forward and I appreciate your time for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm already stumbling over my own words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how does it feel to have this lawsuit all settled now? Um,
1: like I like to talk to you off camera was uh it's it was very stressful, but the the knowledge and the business mind that I came out of of the situation is just way more worth than any situation I was in. So I just those learning tools that I learned for business, uh law, uh, a couple other things, even design wise is you know, I look at it like it was all a blessing in disguise.
0: You know, I was just thinking about this case and as researching this, I was looking over the timeline and you know, it went by pretty quickly. As as we know, lawsuits can go over four or five years and really like kill a brand. Ultimately I was happy to see that it was you know, it did take a long time, but it didn't take five, six years, right?
1: What seemed it seemed that long
0: for me. <laughs> <laughs> So, in terms of modifications, and in, in terms of the settlement, I know there's things that you you can't discuss. So, when I, if I have a certain question that I ask, you can you know answer it as you legally can. But I know some of the stuff that you can't talk about is modifying the GF one. And so, I know you had to modify the outsole and slightly the upper. Could you talk a little bit about what you had to do with the outsole?
1: Um, the outsole changes were already in uh, motion, maybe six, seven months ago. The reason for that process would have been, you know, again, learning in this process, Nike was claiming at the time that they owned something. And for me, I wanted to do the same, to be honest with you. So those changes were made during the lawsuit maybe six, seven months ago, where now we made changes to the outsole that we're gonna legally own and we're gonna have a patent on. And that's kind of where I wanted to head with that. So. Those changes were already in the, in the works. Um, as far as everything else, it's kind of, it's kind of one of the things that people have to see for themselves and, you know, you gotta, you gotta see where, how the, the shoe evolved over the past year and a half and where it's gonna evolve moving forward. The thing about our brand is, it's not like a, it's not like a Nike where it has to be like, you know, five years out, you know, I know it's expensive, but our changes could be like, you know, I don't like how the toe box feels, you know, I'm, I'm six, I'm six, five guy, you know, two twenty. it's like my right foot might hurt so we might change the panels or something like that so we're always evolving the the footwear anyways especially on that silhouette
0: and and that kind of explains the timeline too because you said the new changes will be out pretty soon next year so that explains that you had already made the modifications and you know it's not going to take 18 to 24 months to change things
1: yeah no no and uh the only holdup has been our, our, our new lasts weren't fitting correctly. So we had to go back and reopen the tooling and change a few things, but it's, it will be maybe after new years, I would probably say
0: the end of January will be in production. And the upper itself from what I can tell is only like some of the panels look a little straighter and the angles have changed, but otherwise the upper doesn't look like you've changed much. Is that the case?
1: It all goes back to like our lasts. Uh, we were using two different lasts in the beginning and then we made changes to those. And then we changed factories because of La, La Land being in the lawsuit. So moving forward, we wanted to be like a more luxury, like, I guess the silhouette overall, I wanted to be like more sleek. So that was the changes in the lasting, and the lasting changed how their perception of the side of the shoe looks to many people. Um, but those changes were in the works as well. Um, but the upper that you see now is f- forever staying until you know, maybe I want to change it eventually. But yeah, yeah oh, those those are staying how they are.
0: In terms of uh, support from friends, like you said, um, did you did you have support from all the friends? Did you lose friends? Were there people who were worried about angering Nike and not wanting to publicly support you? <laughs> um, I would say friends and business, those two, which, you know,
1: you could still get, internally you can be like, all right, I feel like these people should be supporting and stuff like that, but I don't, no one owes me anything. So right. it was more so of the brand deals that I lost that just instantly just gave up, which I can't, you know I mean? I've talked about the play online, but I'm not going to like throw EA Sports under the bus or, you know, it's just like, well, I guess I just did, <laughs> but I'm saying in that situation, I just felt like, like it wasn't, I don't want to use the right wording, but it wasn't like it was like a murder, like, charge or something crazy that could have ruined my whole career. This was a brand saying that they think they own, uh, you know, a trade dress and that I was maybe on the borderline of being the same thing. So for people to just give up on me like that, I realized the business of how strong Nike was very quickly. It was within a couple of days where I lost two major ones, you know? Right. So I was like, geez, like, <laughs> maybe this wasn't a good idea, you know, but I mean, overall, looking back on the now, is like, I would have gave up everything again, just to go through the process. Cause what I've learned during this process is, you know, it's unteachable really.
0: Did you intentionally want to start a war with Nike designers on, just based on some of the stuff that you tweeted? The most famous one was the tweets about Kanye and Virgil are the best designers to ever design at Nike. <laughs>
1: it's a touchy one. I mean. Again, I go back to when when this thing started, right? And and everybody would say to me, like, this is so small to Nike. Even our lawyers, like, you know, they're, they're not getting back to us fast enough. Like, this is so small to them. And I just felt like, whether I thought I was going to work or not, I just felt like at some point I'm going to explode because I'm at, like, my breaking point. And I felt like things that I believed in and I wanted to get off my shoulders for years, this is probably the best time to say it, right? Right. Did I intentionally do it to like mess with people? I don't, I don't think so. I just was reacting in the times that I was in and, and the feedback I was getting. But do I believe that statement? I believe everything I said. So yeah, I mean.
0: What what was the reaction? What was the feedback? Cause I know you have friends there from your past of working with some designers and, you know, big name designers as well too. So what, yeah. what was the, What was the reaction that you got I mean, personally?
1: I, I only had conversations with a few people. Um, a lot of them aren't even at Nike anymore. Uh, a lot of them, you know, I, I gave a lot of names after that tweet, which was really like drowned out from that tweet.
0: So, and there was you, more you didn't thread it, so it ended up being like lost in the in the Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I didn't thread it. So,
1: yeah. I mean, I've talked to like a Mark Dolce after, and he's been like, you know, respect like which you're fighting for, and he said thanks for like including me and in who you think's the best. So, I know at that point I had respect in like a lot of higher up people down the line. Um, I talk to Trent Casper all the time. He's at a, he's in a uh, New Balance now. Um, we don't talk about the lawsuit, obviously. We just talk about like where brand's going and he's proud of me. I'm from Pittsburgh, he's from Pittsburgh. So those people just be like, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting a touchy line that, you know, how Nike works, like they could be internally mad about this and you're gonna lose a lot of relationships and stuff. And again, it wasn't about who I wasn't talking about It's more so of getting the overall attention. Like I have a voice.
0: Yeah, you're you're being sued, and it's like it's like a cornered animal. You're going to be defensive too, and yeah. and at the same time, you, you're going to go on attack.
1: Yeah, like again, I never meant anybody that works at Neg. Now, I never meant to like put them down or anything like that. I was just speaking my mind and speaking how I felt at the moment. And most of those times, I was pretty angry and you know frustrated. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still meant what I meant though.
0: You tweeted that Tinker Hatfield wants an apology. Did you have to apologize to Tinker Hatfield?
1: Can't speak on that situation. <laughs> Can't speak on that situation, man.
0: <laughs> they love okay. him up there. I know that. In terms of your actual like strategy in terms of the lawsuit, I think I said this on the pod too. Usually lawyers will recommend to a client to be quiet and not be out there saying things, but you didn't take that approach. You were on Twitter defending yourself. Okay, just cutting in right here. I asked a question about his lawsuit, some of his strategy, and being vocal on Twitter. His lawyers advised him that he should not be given those responses, so instead, I have this edit and cut right here. Eventually, the conversation moved on to Warren Lotus and La La Land and where he was producing his sneakers, so we'll pick it up from there. It started with Warren Lotus, and then he settled, and he gave everything that he had from... What I saw in terms of how the lawsuits went, and then it went to La La Land, which produced the shoes for mm-hmm. um for Warren Lotus. And then from whatever the case that they have with La La Land is their own case, and then you were added to that case because I assume you were producing your shoes at La La Land as well. Is that right?
1: I would I would use the word through La La Land. Okay. Well um, the the backstory about La La Land is um early on 001 and 002 was our first silhouettes we're talking about like 2017 2018 and um we started in LA and my whole I'll give you a whole spiel about the brand real quick but it was a it was we I started the brand based off this uh this medium definition right and it was I would wear like Margella shoes or I was in Jordans but Margielas were uncomfortable and they're $900 and Jordan, some collabs are starting to be like $400. I remember when I did like the luxury ones, they were $400. And I felt like if there was this medium, this niche of this medium, I could put, you know, super high end quality, made in the USA with a, like a sneaker feel. So that's what the kind of the route that we went building it. And I, um, the shoe sergeant actually, at the time we were still close. Uh, Dom took me to La La Land was like, hey, this facility's here. You know, this, this could possibly help your brand. So we, I met with Alex and we started production there. We were there from 2017 to 2021. So my outstanding longevity with business with this guy was very well, I thought, you know? So that's going through that. And I I would bring designers there that wanted to work on footwear. You know, a lot of them would get there and not understand the full length of it, you know? Because making clothing and making footwear is two different worlds, you know? So a lot of people think they should get into footwear because of this whole, like, you know, Jordan look-alike situations going on, right? So in when you get of, like, yeah, in oh, terms of molds, in the footwear, there's like... so, yeah. So when you get in the footwear, it's like more like do you have a, do you know what lasts are? Do you know yeah, like, yeah. what built like, like you can either get one price off
0: price. the shelf or you can make your exactly. own, which is very expensive, right?
1: Exactly. So we were more sold to that, and this whole wave that came back from like 2004 is now. So people think it's just easy, you know, but it's not an outlasting thing. So going into that zero, zero, two, zero, 003, they started bringing, they, you know, that was basically our factory and just talked to Trinidad James about this. He visited in like 2019 and he was like, it's crazy because to the left, it was like Louis Vuitton bags getting finished where he had a deal with Louis Vuitton in LA and they were finishing like the clasps in LA. And then you had on the footwear side, it was all John Geiger stuff. And at that time we had an agreement where there wasn't even allowed to be any other footwear in there besides like women's sandals. Cause we were just running the warehouse, you know, it was small. It wasn't like as big as our factories are now. And then he, we had met and we were not seeing eye to eye and he wanted to bring in other brands. And I was like, cool with it. And um, a couple of the brands they brought in, one was Warren Lotus. And I was actually cool with Warren. And um, they had the meetings and they started their footwear. Early on, I kind of knew that this is not going to go well for them because it was so close, you know. It, they opened like, it, it was an open mold sole, you know, it was getting close to like, the exact. I felt like our protect, uh, like how I wanted to look at the shoe it was more like a vape. I wanted to take a silhouette, change the soul, you know, change the material. That's what I'm really good at is like materials and stuff like that and making it a very high end. I you, thought that we were going
0: You said it. you've been inspired by Nico, right? Yeah, and, yeah, of course. The godfather of the flip.
1: Yep, exactly. So vape was really the inspiration behind the GF1 um, because it was really going to be, a, it's not more so about the silhouette. It was about the materials and the colorways and the storytelling. And then... Um, I'm getting a little off topic, but you, you said, how was it with them guys or the relationship with them?
0: Right. Yeah. With, with La La Land, with Warren Lotus and, um, like, did you blame them for, you know, uh, ratting you out and being part of the lawsuit because of that? Or like, how did you feel?
1: So I was giving you the backstory about La La Land. That's how it led into that. So now I can get to like lawsuit hits. Um, at the time we were already, uh, changing facilities because I was just not seeing eye to eye with love. Like you said,
0: you saw the lay of the land that this was yeah, so, going I mean, in a bad having, direction. It
1: had uh, customizers in there. Um, just, I'm not gonna like say bad business, but just, I didn't wanna really be in that facility anymore. It started being like, everybody in LA was running there. And at the time I wasn't living in LA anymore, but I lived in LA, I would just sleep there. I'd work like 24 hours a day. So when I moved from LA, I wasn't so hands-on. So things weren't getting made quickly enough. Um, our inventory couldn't sit in there long enough. And he was just bringing in more like customizers. And so like this, when I would go visit, you know, I will go down the line and see like a 002 get made next to like a pair of Jordans. And it just didn't sit well with me, you know? It was right. just like, this isn't gonna work. So we were in a transition of moving and the only conversation, and this is what's kind of crazy is, the only conversation I ever had was with Alex saying, you know, I think they're going to include you. And we were like, why would they include us if no one like threw me under the bus to try to give the numbers and stuff. And at that time I didn't know this, but their lawsuit came out and I'm pretty sure Warren settled within like seven days yeah, and really Alex just settled re- like, re- like in a couple months after. So there was no fight or anything. And what really bothered me and still bothers me to this day, and I'm pretty sure they'll probably reach out after this conversation, but. I mean, I come I come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right? I'm a nitty gritty city, like blue collar. Like if I bring you into some legal shit on the street or I did something wrong or, you know, I spent a couple of nights in jail or I stuck up for people and got in trouble for them. You know, if I brought you into something, I'm either going to help you get resources for you or at least reach out and make sure you're good. During that time, they added me to a lawsuit. I didn't hear from Warren. I still haven't heard from Warren Lotus. Not one conversation. No, like, are you good? Yo, my bad. No, like. How's everything going? Blah, blah, blah. Same thing with Alex. Not one word from either one of them. From the lawsuit hit till now.
0: Were they friends before or just like acquaintances?
1: Who, me and Warren? Yeah. I mean, we've met multiple times. Uh, it's kind of crazy because someone dug it up the other day. Like he, he came to Miami for Art Basel and we actually released stuff together in um, Alchemist in like 2015 or 16 or something. And he came over my house and like painted. So he was like painting everything. He painted some like Yeezys and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying like he's younger than me. So I, I mean, I, whatever, I just come from like a different cloth, a different background of being right. like, yo, I would reach out. I shouldn't have to reach out to you and be like, yo, what the fuck's up? You know? So, I mean, it is what it is. It's over now, but I just was hurt by like no one reaching out from those camps being like, Hey, you good.
0: So you saw the writing on the wall with La La Land and and got out of there. And so are are you still making them in America or did you go international then? Um, we're internationally,
1: we're, there's in three different places. It depends on, uh, we're actually pretty lucky to be honest with you, because it depends on what silhouette it is. Um, the gf ones in El Salvador. It's a mom and pop, been in business for, you know, 60 years with super love over there. Um, everything has been smooth, you know, we're six months out now. So we're, um, we're gonna try to get like a year ahead. We're we're about six years, at, or six months ahead now. Um, they work with us. They want to build a brand. Um, I don't want to say the other brands that are in there, but they're they're not they're not sneakers per se. They're like boots, but major companies that are boots. Um due right. the production. And that's the production I want to be in. Very clean, very like on the books, like everything is on point, you know. Uh work with uh their production team every single day. Their QC, their quality control is really on point. Like we don't have any issues.
0: Um so that has been that has been great. So I want to talk about uh just like the beginning of the GF one and what was your motivation to go from these 001 02, 03 to the GF one? Like did you want oh. to revisit misplaced checks? And that was the ultimate goal of the GF one?
1: I mean I think that just silhouette was just like if you really think about it, like every designer brand has like that silhouette, right? Like that's it's not a lie by now. I think am pretty sure everybody can agree to it. There's the Bape one, there's yeah there's I mean, the Young one. Even like even like even like higher end brands, you know like yeah. I'm talking about like Saint Laurent and so there, Everybody has like that silhouette that's like touchy close to it, right?
0: I, I've said the New <laughs> Balance 550 resembles it.
1: Yeah. And I think going into this was like, we were, we were going to scale at that time. Like pre-COVID, we were about to scale. And uh, retailers were just, we, no, we were death Dutch consumer. We killed a Dutch consumer for years. And we were about to go into retail. And a lot of retailers want to lower price items, a lower price shoe. So the GF-1 was like my play on like a bape, you know, it was like, I'm going to flip this, blah, blah, blah. It took a little longer because we opened the mold, the soles and everything like that. So that whole wave came during that time. It looked like I was part of this wave, but it was obviously we were putting it in motion prior. And this silhouette's going to now be in every retailer, you know, so not every retailer, our retailers that we want to be in. But that silhouette was just like a everyday lower, one of our lower price, uh, lower tier, like price items, but we wanted the quality to be super high. And that was the whole point of this. I didn't want it to be priced at 200 and people were like, oh, it's less quality. Um, we want to keep a premium. So that silhouette was going to be there. And then we were moving on to zero zero four, zero zero five, 005, which we've been sitting on because of this whole like lawsuit it, issue.
0: Right. It's, it's, you know, especially at the price point, it's, it's way easier making a decision on a shoe that's 200, 220 than 350. Yeah, right. Um so some of the criticism of course is uh that it's it's a fake, it's a replica, it's a knockoff and the problem with the, a lot of that is so everyone has their own definition of what those terms mean. So like in in your case, what what do you consider the GF1 to be? I would say it inspiration
1: of a ba- of a babe cuz <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean there's a there's a misplaced G gonna come soon. So now that we have the highs, it, so I mean, it's over oh. and done with. But it's just an inspiration
0: of that silhouette. I mean, oh, so like, you're gonna put the, the wave the, the G in like three of them on 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 a silhouette. Yeah,
1: it's it's pretty much all already done. Cool. Yeah. You heard it here first. See, see what people like.
0: <laughs> hey, it's me again, cutting in. I asked a follow up question about trade dress and owning trade dress and John's lawyers advised him that it would not be a good idea to talk about that. So instead we have this cut and edit right here. So we'll pick up the rest of the conversation here where we were talking about owning your own trade dress. So it was eye-opening to
1: me because I was like I want to, you know, even though it was a, like a moment where I was mad and confused and stuff, it was like a learning tool because I was like shit, I want to own this too. Like how do I own uh the soul the lines? So we started making those changes like right when it happened. It wasn't about a month in from the lawsuit that we were making changes to the Soul already.
0: So I wanted to go back to your history with Nike and uh, some of the stuff I know you've talked about before in past interviews, but I think the context is a little bit different now after the lawsuit. So you were working with Nike in 2011 to 2015 or so because you were, you know, part of Darrell Revis's team, and you you were in the room when the Nike Zoom Revis One and the two were were made and that's when you first had your relationship with nike is that's correct right yes yep so what was it work what was it like working with them at the time was it because i know you i know you didn't design the zoom revis but Mm -hmm. like you said you did enough where you were getting residuals yes
1: um shit i gotta take you back to like 2011 at the so time, Re- in terms on- of
0: like friends that you made there, and, and gotcha. in terms of the context, and then how it proceeded from there is kind of more what I'm interested. In. I know uh, you've talked about some of the stuff in the past, but gotcha. that's more of the context I'm interested in.
1: I think that Trent Casper, being from uh, he was from Pittsburgh, but Alacopo is where Rebus was from, was a little bit south side of Pittsburgh. That relationship, where Trent Casper worked on, you know, other Lebrons and stuff like that, I think that's where the relationship really started because. Not only was Revis Rivas, right. But he also met this like young fashion kid who was like super obsessed with everything, who wanted new stuff, you know, yeah, it was a good and sometimes turn to me and be like, "Yo, how did you know that? And it was like knowledge that I learned from the internet or just being into shoes, right. So going to those meetings, which those meetings lasted for like two years because at that time, I don't know if you, this might be the first time anybody knows this, but at that time, Nike was not parting ways with uh, U.S. football players getting silhouettes because the last one was Michael Vick and the whole dog incident where they lost a bunch of money. So leading into this, football in the U- in the U.S. was like minuscule to, you know, soccer football in the whole world. So there wasn't a lot of money put into U.S. football at that time. Um, you had like Megatron from like Detroit, like people like that were like they were putting money into it, but they weren't, they were getting like, you know, PEs, they weren't getting silhouette, their own silhouette. Right. When they presented the thing to Revis, I was just so happy because their projections were not like, all right, there's one shoe and this is going to be it. Their projections were like, this is going to be a LeBron line. Like we were working on logos and clothing and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, the first couple meetings we, I gave my input, they gave their input. We came back with, um, uh, samples and prototypes and stuff like that. And then, he, you know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy that a, it basically was like a turf shoe. So the process of going into like how that shoe's made and how my shoe's made, I never would want to make an athletic shoe just off, based off all, of, you know, the testing that you would have to do. Um, and he was a DB. So like they wanted him to wear him in a game at one time. I mean, they turned him into cleats in, at one point, but that shoe, the Zoom was one, was just like eye-opening to me, like being on campus. Um, everywhere he went, they came, like Trent Casper and Ken Link. And Ken Link is the main designer for the shoe. So ever, like whether it was um, you know, a game in in New York or he had Pro Bowl, they came, and we finalized everything. I think for the last time in New York City, um, and in LA, and then you know the Zoom was one came out, it did really well. And my whole take on it was, they wanted to be this turf shoe, but you know I didn't play any sports at the time. I played basketball in college or whatever, but I wanted to be like a fashion shoe. So I came up like me and him were like one Saturday night. And I don't know if you know Dame, who works at Jordan Brand now. Dame was there to he could tell you this story, full blown. Um, uh, the samples came in. Reeves was, was there, and he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna wear him with sweatpants." I was like, "No, let's wear him with jeans, and let's go to la, like La Marina on Sundays, like in uh, uh, Dykeman. And I was like, "Let's just go there, rocking it like this, and see what people say." And everybody's like, "What are those? What are all <laughs> talking to And we were trying to push the narrative like fashion. Yeah, it was like this crossover. It didn't like didn't necessarily look right with denim, but like we were trying to make it look like that.
0: And this was like, you know, like we're talking about early 20- 2011. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Inter- yeah. And that's where it eventually went to like yep. seven, eight exactly. years later.
1: I'm not trying to say that I saw it, but I saw
0: it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, getting... Keep going on with the story was like uh, all the colorways were coming out. You know, he did a release for LeBron on South Beach for them. Um, Clark Kent did a color- colorway with him. So I got to like talk to him for the first time and get pick his brain about it. And I was really like the point man on the whole thing, even though, you know, Trent and I were working on other projects. I was the point man for Revis on that situation. So whether we talked about gloves or clothing, I would go to I would go to Portland. I was there when they put Revis's parking spot there. You know, I was going out there maybe like once every couple months and going over what was next. And then he got and then he got traded.
0: <laughs> um it, w- so- he Went from Jets like New York to uh, what was it, Tampa Bay? Yep. I can't remember. Yeah,
1: I actually live in Tampa now, but um in two thousand twelve, I think it was two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen, I would say two thousand twelve, he uh he was playing him he was at a game in Miami, we were in Miami and he tore his ACL. Um it was one of them situations where like everybody like just didn't know what was gonna be next. And his rehabbing all through that time, we were still, you know, releasing zero zero ones, but like they weren't selling as good because he wasn't playing. Right. And then I remember the conversation was right in his living room with his agents. And they basically came and was like, hey, like you can go to Tampa Bay. Uh, and he, to, he was going to get like 25 million for like one year. And I knew that, I knew like from a business point, you can never speak something like try to talk someone out of that. And from a business standpoint, he plays football like, you know, you're putting body through hell. Like, you got to do that, right? Especially but in, Nike, like, a and, tax-free
0: state like Florida yeah. and things like that.
1: But Nike, on the other hand, was like, if you go there, it's over.
0: Yeah. It's, because it's that...
1: the market the market was just so bad selling there, yeah. going from New York to there. And then right when he did it, they just, like, pulled everything.
0: Like, if he went to the Rams or something, Nike would have been fine.
1: I think they wanted him to stay in New York, to be honest with you. Because right. even his number cha- was going to change going into Tampa. And they were so mad about making their logo a twenty four. And he was gonna be 25 and he finally got it, but Nike just wasn't having it after that.
0: Even the the Revis 2 that like that wasn't just a sketch that was scrapped, that was full on made and well, then scrapped. Uh yes. Wow.
1: Yep. You'll find on outlets every once in a while.
0: Yeah. No, those are I know they're like cult favorites because of uh because of comfort and the strap and, and, and yeah. how they look and everything. Yeah, the um, only
1: thing that happened after that was when he went to the Patriots, there was there was a lot of MLB players that I guess were working with Chen Casper. So they made a bunch of like PEs for the MLB. You can like Google those. And I, I would we would get all those and it would just be so like dope to see that it was like coming back. And then, you know, they just kind of like faded after that.
0: Yeah. So like a <laughs> during this time you you had a presence on social media and on Instagram and you were building your own following as well, too, right? Yeah. And so I uh, I know things ended with, with Revis not on, on great terms and things like that. But so in 2015 or so is when you w- went into misplaced checks. And I, and I, it might be hard for people to understand now, but like Air Force One, it wasn't as popular at the time like it is kind of now. So, yeah. you know, what, was your goal to, I know that um, you had your, your line about misplaced checks and it's kind of this double entendre about the fallout from the Revis and residuals and things like that. Is that where it came from? The inspiration to make misplaced checks and to put it on the Air Force One.
1: Uh yeah, that was one hundred percent. It was a double entendre of like not getting paid on time, but then also like just not getting enough credit for things. Right. Well, we have to. Well, if we talk about this, it's kind of like a. It's not a huge backtrack, but like you have to start by. When the when the fallout with Revis was happening, entirely with Nike, like they, they weren't not talking to me; they were giving me more. So. What I mean by that is like, it was like uh, pre-influencer, right? Right. You can go back to like, go like like nice kicks or like kicks on fire and put my name in. And I guarantee that you find like at least like 60 pairs of shoes that I was the first one to ever post them. Like, you know how these people do it now? And it's like a huge thing. Um, We'll get like the first one. I'm almost positive if you do this, this is a fact, you can go probably find it right now, like kicks on fire, nice kicks and find images of me having things way before they came out. And they would send these boxes to my place in Pittsburgh. And it would just be like LeBron stuff that never came out. And I would post them and it would go crazy. And people would take the pictures and this and that. And then as I I was doing this, they would just keep sending more. And then at one point where I was obsessed with Air Force Ones, they would give me Nike ID credits to just like make a whole bunch of Nike ID credits, but they weren't on Nike ID yet. So I would go on there and make all these different shoes and they would send them to me. And then those would be like the ones that are going to be the next month or something like that. And you can even go back to, again, what I'm saying, these are all facts, Instagram, whatever. I would post like 10 IDs a, like a week. Like right. every couple of weeks, I would do like 10 days straight of like Nike IDs. And everybody was like, oh, you're bringing back Air Force Ones. And at the time, he said, Rocky was really rocking them again. He was rocking like mids and it was really right. coming back. And then at that time, I would just start, then just start feeding Nike designers like ideas. Like you should do this, you should put them here. The misplaced checks is one of them, like upside down, backwards and all this stuff. And they basically just said to me, you know, like, Nike will never reposition a swoosh. Um, Like,
0: there was a full-on, like, uh, design rules in place that you couldn't alter things. Because it wasn't really until, you know, uh, 2016, 2018 or so with with Virgil and the Travis that they started uh, relaxing those rules. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, no, no. Okay. Say. so my question about that is, in the past, when talking about the swoosh and the misplaced checks and things like that, and inspiration, you usually were humble or deferred about it. Has that changed after the lawsuit? Because I know on Twitter, you couldn't be humble and defer because you were you know, fighting for yourself, fighting for your name. Are you now willing to take the credit that I was the one who brought the Air Force One back? You know all, alongside rocky and others
1: i'll have to say
0: yes it's <laughs> never it's
1: not going to go well because people just don't believe like you know what i'm saying you would have to follow me from that time till now to see that whole vision um and it's also like one of the things before the misplaced checks like there was no customizers selling shoes like at bulk right, right. there was i mean i was selling you know $100,000 worth of misplaced checks within like five minutes at times, you know? So, and then we'd have to scramble and go find the shoes. You know what I'm saying? So right. that was also a first that no one really thought about that. There was no custom, no customizers, like selling, like, you know, 200, 300, 400 pairs of a custom shoe at that time. So I think it was just like a play altogether that I guess not until now you look back and be like, okay, this was happening and you didn't realize it.
0: Right. Did you try to make the misplaced checks with Nike first before doing it on your own? I mean, yeah, I, I won't say the people that I talked to there directly because it would just cause more shit. But like, yeah,
1: you know, those conversations that happened and I was like trying to push it for like all-star, I think of 2015 was that I just gave up and now I was like, fuck, I'm going to do it myself.
0: And I, I think you tweeted too, that you even, because I'm asking about this because, um, in case it came up in the lawsuit and discovery and things like that too, that, um, you even sent pairs to Nike employees and, you know, what did they think of them? Oh, uh, you're talking about in Discovery? At the time, like, what what did they think of them? And so, because I know oh, in good. Discovery, this, this stuff could have came out and been introduced, <laughs> yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I can't speak on anything in Discovery or, like, depositions, but if you're talking about, like, me sending shoes to people, pro- like, 2014, 2015, 2016. Yeah, yeah I mean, there were... I can't, I'm not going to name all those people again because it probably just caused a bunch of shit, but yeah, I would send them there. I mean, I even sent LeBron pairs. I mean, uh, these are people who asked for them, who paid for them. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of crazy because it's, it's like one of the situations not till like right now as, I'm, as you're saying all this stuff. I didn't really fully ever think about that.
0: Like I said, people don't understand it now, but in 2015 or so, Air Force Ones, no one was looking into them. No one was thinking about them that much. Of course... You can go on StockX, search by 2011, 2012, 2013. You can go all the way to the category and select the, the highest bid on the shoe, And it's, it's probably some, you know, Year of the Rabbit, some Supreme stuff. It's, it's not like how it is now Yeah, and on the map. And of course, it was always a classic silhouette from like 82. So it's not like it was just forgotten completely. But it just didn't have the same stature as it does now. So there's people and- new into the game every time. So they might not be aware of this.
1: Yeah, and then I think at whatever the year the first ComplexCon was, uh I think it was ComplexCon. They used they had this wall full of like Air Force Ones and they used the misplaced checks on the wall. And I forever I thought it was a j <laughs> thought it was a joke because I wasn't involved in it. Neither was a shoe surgeon, and it was just on this like Nike Air Force One wall that was built, I'm guessing from Nike. And it was on that wall. I'm not sure someone switched it out. I'm pretty sure like round two ran it or something like that. Right. But it was on that wall, so that even at that time, I was just like, "What's going on?"
0: So after the misplaced checks, we we talked about you know you went create your own company and went in a different direction with the 0123 and back to the G F one. So mm-hmm. bringing it back to the the lawsuit and discovery and things like that, did did you feel that you were trying to be made an example of that you were being picked on that because they weren't going after Coolkey or the shoe surgeon and things like that? They were they they brought you up as the example. Um,
1: I got asked the other day, when did I think that like I was getting big and that's always a weird question. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm in it and I'm moving. So it's a weird question for me to say, like how big I'm getting, like, that's a weird thing to answer, yeah, but I think it was at that time because again, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, but in the past year and a half, I got hit by Vans for a trademark for the G logo because at the end of it was a squiggle. So Vans came, then Kurt Geiger came because we went into, we, the GF1s went into um, all the high-end retailers in Europe, and Kurt Geiger is a women's uh, brand, and they were on the same floor, and Kurt Geiger didn't want John Geiger in Europe. Right. We won that battle, and then Nike came right after that. So a lot of people don't know, it was like three back-to-back big hitters coming after me, and I'm just like, And everybody in business will tell me like, this is a part of business. This is a part of business. I was like, I would rather be a little bit more established before this happens because, you know, the Nike lawsuit, that's a a lot of money, bro.
0: Right. In terms of like, from my point of view, from an outsider looking in, it just seemed like they were targeting you, wanting to make an example of you, thinking that you would fold quickly because lawsuits cost a lot of money and uh the you know they protect their trade dress and all that kind of stuff and when that didn't happen it seemed like their new strategy then was to like prolong it as long as possible so that's just my point of view i know you can't speak on nike and their strategy um but like how how close were you to a settlement before this one came up Did, did it happen like early on at the very beginning were they offering that kind of stuff if you can even talk about it
1: um yeah, I can't really talk about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I can't really get into, like, the settlements, the conversations where, you know, it's at a, a closed-off situation where I can't yeah. always speak on those things.
0: When you tweeted about this, you said they, they will find things that they will not like and that will come out and they probably did not want to come out. And Can't speak on
1: that. I can, I, I, that's me
0: speaking on things that you <laughs> oh, yeah. tweeted that the, yeah. the, the tweets are still there. So Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: that's what the thing about it is, is if you really want to, like, backtrack and, like, do documenting of everything that has been going on the tweets are still up i believe so
0: yeah no i think it's it's very telling like when i was researching this i i saw them all so i was like well if it's part of the settlement they they would have been long gone um <laughs> so in the same line but in different directions like how how much did this lawsuit like put a pause on your plans for you know john geiger co like i know you were still releasing shoes so you know you still had some sort of a schedule, but like, are you one year behind, two year behind because of these these Vans lawsuits, this Nike lawsuit, the Kurt Geiger lawsuit? Oh, uh,
1: I wouldn't say behind, but, you know, in 2020, I showed a full collection in Paris. Uh, John Geiger season one. Showed a full collection privately, and we're going to go into just about every dope retailer in the world that I hand, hand chose. And then COVID hit. Um, we backtracked on retail just because a lot of people weren't going out of the house. So we still killed We still killed a direct consumer and we like, you know, battled through, you know, those times. And then after COVID, you know, we were gonna go back into retail, but only footwear. We weren't gonna do full collections anymore. We were just gonna really just focus on footwear right now. And then when we started going back into retailers and it started growing, and again, we were at this point, we were gonna, we were gonna scale. This is like early, you know, 2021, we were gonna scale again and scaling, just, you know, looking for a strategic partner. Um, have meetings every single day still to this day about it, about what we're gonna do and find the right person. And scaling is just like, you know, for for the brand wise, we killed on direct consumer for so long, which is unheard of for a small brand, footwear brand at that. Scaling is just like, you know, we can get six months ahead, we can get seven months ahead, but I go back to that that Kanye rant when a lot of people say, you know, you wanted you to do it yourself. Right. And what he meant by that is like, yeah, I can do it myself, but to get to a Yeezy level or like a Louis Vuitton level or a Nike level, you have to have a strategic partner and scale because if not, you're at a plateau. And I feel like during the lawsuit, it was really killing me because not only did I lose mad endorsement deals that could have pushed me forward in other avenues, you know, look at that situation is like, I know what I lost, but I don't know what I did, not what I lost. So right. that's like, I know what I lost, the two or three that I lost, but what those could have led to would have been, you know, you never know what it could have been. I and mean, we can create a director for like, you know, a brand or something. Right. So in that situation, it was like a learning, the whole thing was a learning experience about the brand and where we were going. And it put a pause on growing, I would probably say more than anything. Um, it was just financially bound and it was just like a personal thing. And it was, you know, eating at me, every single day. So people in the brand probably more like, like being around me those days. Uh, I was recently, oh, it's good during this process in 2020, I started to build a new, a new home in Tampa. It's a new build, me and my girlfriend. And, uh, right when, uh, the house was going to be done early. It was right at 2020, 2022 I'm at this year. And I, when I went to try to get the house, my mortgage wouldn't go through because I had to open a lawsuit in my name. Oh, wow. so it was a liability so we went months with thinking i might not even get the house so something that we built it was a new build you know what i'm saying it's it's, it's a nice home in tempo we've been looking forward to for two years and a lawsuit just put and that's when i realized like damn this is messing everything up i never thought that i would go and try to get a new home and my mortgage would get stopped because
0: i have a liability on my name or getting like insurance or something and they oh, yeah the it was all kind of this, off, right? it's,
1: yeah, it's it's over now like uh, if if I go get, like, a new car or
0: something, it's not going to be a big deal. But in that time frame, everything was a big deal. So if there was a... You did exact, like, an emotional toll because of the, the lawsuit. I, I think you even tweeted at one time about depression or weight gain and loss. And yeah. it's totally understandable because it's it's a stressful situation, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, a,
1: uh, I'm definitely a stress eater. Not like... To the point of like obesity but i, I mean I, i'm a big guy i'm 6'4 so i can gain weight lose weight and you know a lot of people be like oh it doesn't look to, you look the same but i know like when i look good and you, you I mean, you can even tell too when there's more pictures of me you know i'm down when there's no pictures of me you know i'm up i mean it's not very <laughs> yeah. hard to tell i'm very yeah. open booked so i mean it, looking back on like the emotional stuff it was just it just took a toll on me personally
0: i think the one thing that was super clear on your twitter is like you had haters you were dealing with haters but you also had a lot of supporters and that's why your brand is where it is why the shoe is where it is and why it yeah, sells man. out because i always use the pro wrestling term you got to get over with the crowd and and you were over with the crowd and like, like you said you you know you can't it's hard to speak about how big you are but you you can't do that unless you have some sort of emotional connection with the people right yeah i mean <laughs> i like being not liked at
1: times to be honest with you i think that do you thrive on be- negativity Oh, one thousand percent! there has to be people that hate you. There's no way they just keep making it in this realm that I'm in with everybody just loving you so but you i do I do find it that people often only respond to the hate, so I try to respond to the love more than the hate. I'll take my little jabs here and there, but I know that hate only comes from like in this situation, I feel like hate only comes from like. And and I'm not trying to like throw anybody on the bus, but let's just say you worked at a corporation, right? I'm over here saying whatever I want, releasing what I want, how I want to do it, and I'm being confident about it.
0: Hey, it's just me again, cutting in. We started talking about designers and getting credit for being a designer at a brand, something that I talked about in episode 31, about how the era of the big name designer is coming to an end. So there was a very short bit about that. And because it could be veering on the terrain of settlement stuff, I decided to cut it out. So we'll pick it up from there about designers and getting credit.
1: Any brand. I just feel like designers at those brands should be like more open to like getting credit for things. Yeah, for no, me, I've said it too. It they,
0: they're erasing designers names on stuff and they they used to designers or it would be celebrities like tinker and you know eric avar and some of these big exactly. Uh, exactly designers right the frank cook so when it comes into those
1: hating from that side of like brands or people that are in design it's like i would hate me too if i were you because i'm living out like my dreams and my truths and how i feel and it might not always be right but i believe in what i got going on and i believe in where i'm going and for me someone above me to be like oh no you can't get credit for that i would be like get the fuck out of here
0: right. you know
1: so i don't have to answer the question correctly but it's just like oh that overall just took like a toll on me and i just felt like speaking up saying whatever i wanted to and a lot of people got mad about that but it was like all right you,
0: you might be right yeah but like you said i'm, I'm in a lawsuit right now so yeah I, i'm kind of dealing with something um, <laughs> Finally, kind of last question. I wanted to ask about, and it's about support too. I wanted to ask about that mural that was painted for you in in Pittsburgh. Like, What what is the story behind that? Uh, Who did it? Uh, I want to get his name out there and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I felt, like I just said this the other day too. Pittsburgh is really known for like sports and like music, right? You know, like Mac Miller came from there. Wiz Khalifa came from there. And then sports-wise, you had Steelers, Pirates, Penguins. And it was kind of crazy that in a time... Where I felt like my worst because of a lawsuit,
0: the city of Pittsburgh supported me the most. Right. It's almost like the, the red hot chili pepper song about the you know, about the LA lifting him up, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, give me a second. <laughs> a little emotional. Uh yeah, I mean Camo Customs did the mural.
0: My bad. No worries, no worries. Like, uh, under the bridge is a, the the Chili Pepper song, and I was thinking about, and it's totally about connecting with the city and the people there. And so, like I said, when you connect with people, people connect with you back. That's how you make this kind of emotional relationship. So, you you need it. You need those people to be the one to lift you up, and it could be people you don't even know. And so it, it was it was cool to see. And you know, I know you went out into the park and threw out the first pitch and stuff like that as well too.
1: Yeah. My bad. No, 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 no. I mean I just think that like in the the worst times. Fuck. The city like really show me support. Yeah. Oh man. Yes, yeah, so, I mean I, it was it's Camel Customs. He found a huge wall. Uh I didn't know it was gonna be that dope to be honest with you. Um and it's funny because he, you know, they won the put up in mural. The city won the put it up, and he didn't want paid.
0: And we st- we still paid for like his time and everything. So it was kind of dope. That's awesome. Yeah. So John, I wanted to thank you for your time. I wanted to thank you for doing a podcast with me. I know, you know, this is a small thing. This is this is Twitter Streets. This is not like some network or anything like that. So thank you for you know looking out, looking out, and wanting to be on this show to talk about this kind of stuff appreciate it (laughs) all right best of luck thanks once again i wanted to thank john geiger for being very generous with his time and doing this show as i mentioned i thought it was very cool that he wanted to talk to me and talk to the listeners of this show he could have very easily ignored me or even worse big-timed me but instead he was kind and courteous so thank you john also a special thank you to some people i bounced question ideas off of this includes my friends brendan jonathan DH, and LA3. So, as we heard at the end there, we all need some help at, at some point of our lives. And it can come from anyone. Anyone you've made a connection with. Your your friends, your family, your co-workers, and even from your city. From people you don't even know. So, what's important is that you go out there and make those connections. And of course, the best way to do that is... Um, regular listeners of the podcast know this is the part where I tell you to go fuck yourself. So, I don't want to be harsh to any new listeners that might be tuning in so please go fuck yourself